church? Let's ask first and foremost, can you hear me? Because he was near to Jerusalem, and because they thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. Verse 12. Therefore he said, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive for himself a kingdom, and then return. And he summoned ten of his slaves, and gave them each a mina, and said to them, do business with these until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We don't want this man to be king over us. When he returned after receiving the kingdom, he summoned these slaves to whom he had given the money. He wanted to know how much they had earned by trading. So the first one came before him and said, Sir, your mina has made ten more minas. And the king said to him, Well done, good slave. Because you have been faithful in a very small matter, you will have authority over ten cities. Then the second one came and said, Sir, your mina has made five minas. So the king said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another slave came and said, Sir, here is your mina that I put away for safekeeping in, in a piece of cloth. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You withdraw what you did not deposit, and reap what you did not sow. Then the king said to him, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked slave. So you knew, did you, that I was a severe man withdrawing what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow. Why then didn't you put my money in the bank so that when I returned, I could have collected it with some interest? And he said to his attendants, Take the minna from him and give it to the one who has ten. But they said to her, Sir, 
He has ten minas already. I tell you that everyone who has will be given more. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who do not want me to be their king, bring them here and slaughter them in front of me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus is telling this parable at a very interesting moment in his ministry. You may have noticed in the very beginning of this text that it tells us where Jesus is going. Now, as I said, I'm a Bible teacher, so I'm going to ask for some crowd participation this morning. Where is Jesus heading? He's heading to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, he has a very, very important role to play. He is going to be the sacrificial lamb that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, knowing that he is entering the last phase of his earthly ministry, stops short of Jerusalem and looks at those following them and tells them a parable. This parable. And the text tells us that he does it for a very specific reason. It says that he knew that the crowd was thinking that he was going to immediately declare himself to be a king and all their problems would be over. And Jesus, in part, tells this parable to say, hold up a minute. It ain't yet. He is going to Jerusalem. He will come back. But his reign is going to take a while. And so he tells this story. It would be a very familiar story to the people of the land. It actually happened quite often to them. But he, he does something interesting with this story. He applies it to himself. And he tells a story and he says, There was a nobleman, a rich guy, who was sent off to become a king. Now, before he was sent, he gathered to himself... Ten of his servants. Now, that number is very important. How many people did he gather to himself? Ten. Ten. He gives them each a minor. In that culture, a minor was about four months worth of wages. So in our language, he gave them a stack of thousands. And he said, when I go off, I want you Earn me some money. Now, he goes off and he becomes king. While he was on his way, he has a crowd from his own town come before the ruler of the area and they say, we don't want him. The ruler of the area says, I don't care. And the king, the ruler, makes the ruler a king of his land and the king comes back and he gathers to himself the ten servants. Now, how many of y'all have heard this story before? Many of y'all. Many of y'all probably heard sermons on this story before. Well, we're going to do something differently today. We're going to focus on this in a little different fashion. Y'all know the story. The first person comes. And he says, Sir, 
made ten more minutes. I have made a profit of ten times what you gave me. And the king says, man, you're awesome, dude. Because you were faithful with this, I'm going to give you ten cities. Then the second comes. He says, sir, I have made a profit of five times what you gave me. And the master says, cool, man, that's awesome. Because you were faithful with this, we're going to make you a, a ruler of five cities. Now, the third comes, and he says, Sir, I, I, I was kind of afraid of you. And so I, I buried what you gave me, and um, here it is. And the master says, You're cursed. Now, I asked a question earlier. How many servants were called to the master? Where are the other seven? Where are the other seven servants? Were there not ten that were called? What if I told you that they're in the text? Let's look at these forgotten servants. It is amazing when I started studying this passage. I have read this passage thousands of times. I have heard many sermons on this passage. I have read every commentary I could find on this passage. And not a single person ever mentioned the other seven. Sometimes when you follow Jesus, you feel forgotten. Sometimes when you follow Jesus, you feel overlooked. Sometimes when you follow Jesus... You look at your brothers and sisters who seem to be making it, and you get a little jealous. Sometimes you look at your other brothers and sisters in the church, and you say to yourself, I just don't got it. And it gets tiresome. And so you start getting a little depressed, and you get a little bit beat down. And so then you get a little bit of a, a spirit of giving up. Anybody ever been there before? You know, it's a terrible day. Not only when the world doesn't see you. Not only when the local folks don't see you. But what if your church don't even see you? What if even the scholars of the church don't see you? Are you still going to be faithful when you're forgotten? Today I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. And I want to bless you with the word of God. This text speaks to every single person in this room. So what I want to do is I want to break up these people and we're going to talk about it. The first servant here, I call him the fruitful. The fruitful servant. In my mind's eye, these are the national recognized people in Christianity. They're like the Billy Grahams of Christianity. They're like the people writing the books, making the money. They are the professional Christian. When you are in a high place of Christian service, there are some great dangers that come along with it. One of the very first is the sin of pride. When you begin to think to yourself, Self, I am doing good today. 
I've had my quiet time today. I have prayed today. I have served Jesus today. I, my book that I wrote about Jesus' soul today, self, I am doing great today. Look at me. I am the Reverend Spikebert, and I am here to bless you in the name of Jesus. Now, is that more about me or more about Jesus? See, the downfall and the pitfall of the fruitful servant is the sin of pride. You got to watch out for that. Because the higher you go, the harder the fall is. You got to watch your motivation when you are a fruitful servant and you know that God is blessing you in ministry and blessing you in the Christian life. You got to guard yourself against pride, against envy, against your own selfish desires. And here's the crazy self-reliance. Oh, I got it. We're good. I can teach you today and never spend any time with the Word. When you start becoming a very high level in your Christian walk, it is a temptation to flee from Jesus in a very, very strange manner. Because in some ways, you're even hiding behind your fruitfulness. Jesus doesn't want us to hide. Jesus wants us to be dependent upon Him. The next group of people that we find in this text is I call the faithful. They're the ones that have gained the five. Now these are our local leaders. These are our local Christians. These are the people that you know, that you know that they're doing good, they're, they're living their life, they're just being faithful. And, and the danger with being a faithful follower is many times the same as being a fruitful follower. But one big difference, jealousy. Jealousy can get at you. When you start looking around and wanting to do what other people are doing, the sin of jealousy has crept in. The last servant that we see mentioned in this text before we get to the forgotten, because that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning. The last servant mentioned is the guy that hid his coin. And I call him the, fear, the, the fearful and faithless. He was afraid of the master. And so therefore he hid what the master had given him and returned it. And he's cursed. <clears throat> this individual's motivation was fear. Yeah. Brothers and sisters, yeah. there is a whole group of people in the church that are only following Jesus because they're afraid he's going to send them to hell. Paul says in Romans it's the love of God that draws us to repentance if you're only following God and you're only trying to live the right life so that you don't burn in hell then you have missed Jesus you are following Zeus Jesus is not on a cloud with a lightning bolt ready to strike you. Right. He's on a cross ready to cover you. It's the love of God that draws us to repentance. But it is so prevalent 
in Christianity that we have people that are too afraid to do anything with the gift that God has given them. So far I have not mentioned what these gifts are. Jesus gives a coin to every single one of us. And that is many different things. It can be spiritual gifts. It can be the Great Commission. It can be simply love God, love people, serve people. Amen. If you are a Christian, the greatest thing that Jesus has given you that we need to give others is himself. Amen. You see, before Jesus found me, my testimony is a little bit different because I wasn't saved by the crack house. I was saved out of the church house. Yeah. You see, I, I grew up in the church. Before I was born, I was in the sanctuary. Amen. I grew up with parents who loved Jesus, who taught me the Bible, who, who told me all about Jesus. Amen. But it wasn't until I was 15 years old when Jesus struck my soul and said, you're my child, that I actually surrendered to Jesus. Sometimes we need to remember where Jesus has called us from and remember what Jesus has called us to and what he's called us with. He's called us with himself. Before I knew Jesus, I went to church because that's where I had to go. My parents told me to go. And a while later, I started to be fearful. I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to read my Bible. Well, I don't want God to be mad at me, so I'm going to read my Bible. But, but when, when, when that, that night that I was sitting on a concrete floor in Mexico, and Jesus reached down, and he touched me with his love. He said, Spike, you've done missed me your whole life. Your whole life you missed me. You were reading about me. You were talking with other people about me, but you missed me. The greatest gift that Jesus ever gave me was himself. He gave me love and acceptance. He gave me mercy and forgiveness. He gave me reconciliation and transformation. Now, I'm a little weird, y'all. One of the things I'm most thankful for is he gave me discipline. Because when I started to go back to my old ways, Jesus said, no, sir. No, sir. You ain't going that way. And I'm thankful today that we have a God who does not stay up in heaven on the clouds, but he came on this earth and he's invited every single one of us into relationship with himself. And here's the beautiful thing. You may not feel like you have anything to offer anybody, but you have Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. You have Jesus to offer them. You can offer them the hope of the world. Yeah. That no matter if the world hates you, and no matter if your mama hates you, Jesus loves you. Jesus accepts you. Jesus desires you. Now get this. Get this. Jesus loves you and accepts you and desires you so much. That he doesn't keep you in the filth where he found you. There is some horrible teaching these days in the modern day church. So let me do some corrective surgery. Thankfully you have two pastors that don't believe this. There's a horrible teaching that says, right? Jesus loves you. 
Brian, Jesus loves you. See you later. <laughs> hey, we are, Jesus, totally happy with whatever you're doing in your life, whatever pagan gods you're worshiping, whatever idols you're doing, whatever you got going on, awesome with me, brother. That ain't Jesus. Because Jesus says, come to me, all who are what? Weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Where does he tell us to go? To him. Brothers and sisters, I believe the minor is a lot of things. But the greatest gift that we can share with one another is Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, we've talked about the fruitful. We've talked about the faithful. Let's look at the forgotten. If you've ever been in this position, boy, it's tough. It is tough to be overlooked. Maybe you've been working at your job for 25 years. And you do everything right. But there's something about you that your boss don't like. And so for the past 10 years, you've been overlooked every single time that there's a spot open. If you can keep on having a smile on your face after all that, then you're a saint. <laughs> Most of us get upset and get depressed. Jesus in this passage is calling those who are forgotten to remember that they too are faithful. You may have been overlooked by everybody, but Jesus doesn't overlook you. Amen. Let's look at this. We know from verse 12 and 13 that Jesus called the ten. When he has talked to the first, he talks to the second, he talks to the third, he does something very interesting. Verse 24. The master called to himself his servants. And he tells them, take the minna from him who had the ten. And, or from, take it from the guy who did nothing and give it to the one who had ten. And they look at him and say, what you smoking, man? What? You want me to do what? Yo, that guy already has ten. He don't need any more. And the master says, I don't care, give it. He calls them his servants to himself. There are only ten people mentioned in this passage. The only servants that are in this text are the fruitful, the faithful, the faithless, and the forgotten. Who does he call to continue to do his business? Is it not those that were forgotten and have been overlooked by just about every single person that's ever read this text? You see, even though you may have been overlooked, Jesus still considers you faithful and still desires to use you and to love you and to accept you and to challenge you. But the hard thing is, what if Jesus is calling you to do something that's crazy? Are you still going to follow Jesus when he calls you to something that's hard? Are you still going to follow Jesus when he calls you to do something that's insane? One of my favorite stories in all of the Bible is the story of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is found in the Old Testament. He is one of the 
minor prophets, but for Nick's sake I will say one of the book of the twelve. <coughs> Habakkuk is in a boxing match with God. If you've never read this text, I encourage you to read it. It will change your life. It will change your perspective on God. Habakkuk is a boxing ring. And there are two combatants. There is Habakkuk the prophet and then there is God. And Habakkuk comes up to God and he says, God, what are you doing? Why are you not doing anything about all this mess in this world? And God says, well, I am. I'm doing, I, I, I'm doing what I'm going to do. And in fact, what you think is bad, I'm going to use the worst people that have ever existed. And they're about to come into your land. And they're about to kill everybody because I said so. Now Habakkuk says, what? What are you smoking? You, you want me to praise you? You want me to follow you when you're when, when, when you're insane, God? When, when you're calling me to be faithful in a city that's about to be destroyed? And God says, yes. Because Habakkuk, you forgot about me. Habakkuk, you need to remember me. Habakkuk, you need to trust me. And this boxing match goes on and on. And eventually, at the end of chapter 3, Habakkuk says, okay, God, I'm ready to praise you no matter what. I wonder if we are ready to praise God no matter what. I wonder if we're ready to follow God no matter what. So what do we do if we find out that our motivation for following Jesus ain't so good? I listed out some of the motivations that a lot of us have for, for following Jesus. And I want to go through them really quickly. The duty band. The, I'm going to white knuckle it until I make it. I'm going to fake it until I make it. I made a commitment, so I'm going to stick with it. The reward. Hey, God's blessing me. This is why I serve. The jealous. Hey, I want more. I want more. The legalistic. If I don't do this, God's not happy with me. The fearful. God's going to kill me if I don't do it. And here's the, the scariest one of all. When we follow Jesus out of shame, how many of all of us have ever said to yourself, I should be reading the Bible more. I should be praying more. I should be giving more. I should be doing this more. I should be whatever. Did you know that the word should is often followed by the sensation of shame? I should, but I'm not, so therefore I must be a failure. Shame, duty, jealousy, legalism, fear... All these motivations are fruitless and they lead to a life-sapping existence. They lead to joylessness, they lead to burnout, they lead to idolatry, they lead to cheating on Jesus. Every single one. And yet, aren't they the primary motivations that we often use to get us through our Christian journey? This text reminds us what our true motivation is. Not what it should be, but what it is. The true motivation is Jesus himself. So if you find yourself in this text, and you say, you know what, I'm going to challenge you because I know that my, my, my service is motivated not by some good stuff here. What do you do? Number one, you remember. You remember Jesus. 
You remember why you started serving and following Jesus in the first place. What is it that led you to be embraced by the nail-scarred hands? What is it that, that made you say no to the world and yes to Jesus in the first place? One of the problems that I have in my own life is I get so distracted by the glitter of the world that I lose sight of the brilliance of Jesus. I get so distracted by trying to keep up with the Joneses that I forget about the Jesuses that I need to follow. We need to remember. And this is the tough one, y'all. Sometimes we need to repent. We need to confess that what we've been doing ain't right. But if you confess your sin, he is faithful to forgive you. You may be a person that says, man, I've just been depressed. And I'm just not, I'm not feeling it. Remember. Remember why you started serving Jesus. Remember who he is. Remember the amazing things that he has done. <coughs> and then lastly, renew. You need to repent, you need to remember, you need to repent, you need to renew. You need to renew that love relationship with Jesus. The illustration of marriage is used throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament, to describe our relationship with God. If you are in a marriage, and you are being motivated by duty, or because I'm in it because she, she blesses me with some stuff, if you're in it because, well, I'm jealous, or because I have to, that marriage is not going to be very fruitful. What does a fruitful marriage look like? It's a marriage where there's good communication. It's a marriage where there's respect, where there's dignity, where there's obviously love. But just like any marriage, if you've been married for more than six months, then you know that marriage is hard. You know that marriage comes with some serious hurdles that you have to cross together. And sometimes marriage means that you end up on the couch because you open your big fat mouth like I do all the time. Now, the beautiful thing about God's mercy and God's grace is that Jesus doesn't kick us to the couch. Jesus kicks us to his feet where he covers us with his blood. We need to remember. Y'all are a church plant. And you look at all these churches around you that have hundreds of people and you think to yourself, Brian, Lord, what's going on, Lord? We're being faithful here. What do you do? You keep on serving. You keep on following. You keep on loving. You keep on giving. You keep on keeping on. Because no matter if the world don't see you, and no matter if the church don't see you, and even if the scholars of the church don't see you, Jesus sees you. May the Lord bless his people this morning. My name is Constance. Praise Team Seeger here at One Fellowship Church in Waco, Texas. Thank you for listening.
You can learn more about our congregation online at onefellowshipumc.org. You can also like us on Facebook in order to stay up to date with the latest events and activities taking place in our community. Please feel free to share this message and others on social media so that more people can hear about what God is doing here at One Fellowship Church. Thank you and God bless.